Crafting a Revolution. I'm your co-host, KB Thompson. Here we share interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. I'm also the creator of the Women of Woodworking Project and Pen and Chisel, a journal created to highlight the work and stories of underrepresented voices in craft. Today, our guest on Crafting a Revolution is Chelsea Cates of Austin, Texas. Chelsea is an upholsterer who found a love for woodworking when she became interested in actually constructing the pieces she was upholstering. Chelsea shares perspectives on access and experiences as a minority in the field, and also as a maker on sort of a personal pit stop on her journey and why those moments are so important to the process. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to make a huge shout out to our patrons on Patreon. Thank you to Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette at 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, yours truly at Women of Woodworking, Kevin at Lefty's Woodshop, Christy at Twisted Twine, Jeremy at Jeremy Speck, Sammy at Go Samalee, Rachel at Muni Makes, Bonnie at Tool Mom Bonnie and ToolMomStore.com, Laura at Oakley Soap Company, Brandy at Studio Abe, Lee at the Rainbow, Rainbow Carver, Ellen at Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan at Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you so much, and make sure you go to Patreon to sign up, support the podcast. All right, let's get to our interview. All right, thank you so much for joining us for Crafting a Revolution. Today, we have Chelsea Cates joining us from Austin, Texas. How are you, Chelsea? Hey, I'm doing well, trying to stay cool. How are you doing? About the same. Yeah. <laughs> sweating it out, sweating it out. So Definitely. So um, well, let's go ahead and get started. Chelsea, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship to making? Yeah, so um, I have uh, been doing woodworking and upholstery for um, a handful of years now. I started upholstery in 2015 and then decided that I wanted to be able to uh, make chairs and sofas and also upholster them. So do it start to finish. And um, so I started taking woodworking classes in about 2018. Um, and then lately I've gotten into some DIY projects because I bought a house a couple of years ago. So that's necessary. <laughs> Those skills are necessary for home ownership and, and for rentals too. I think, I, you know, like growing up in, um, didn't really like want to join my dad in the workshop too much. But once I got out in the real world, I was like, Ooh, it would be nice if I knew how to hang a picture right now. <laughs> exactly. I had a similar situation with my dad. He had a, a little woodworking shop in the garage, but I, I never went in there because whenever he was working, I didn't like the smell of the, the wood burning on the table saw. <laughs> and so I always left and went back into the house. That's funny because that's like the best part to me. I'm like, yes, I, I can almost like identify what's being cut now because I like it, which is probably not healthy. You know, I say that in a 
global airborne pandemic. But it's a fun game. I play that too. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, how, how did you originally get into um, upholstery? It's really interesting to hear someone come to woodworking from that direction because I often hear woodworkers saying, I've, I've got to learn how to upholster. So it's, it's neat to hear you come from that direction. Yeah. Um, so in high school, we took a career aptitude test. I think it was like 10th grade, maybe 11th. And we got the results and all my friends got a couple options, you know, accountant, teacher, whatever. I got one option and it was a pulser. I was so disappointed. It's like, what is this? And so that's how I learned what upholstery was. Um, and I just, I forgot about it. And then, yeah, so 2015, I was speaking with a really creative coworker and I just said, you know, I need, I need a creative outlet. I'm, I'm working, I'm bored. Um, I just need some fun, you know? And I told him the story about the career aptitude test. And then he said, so I actually just saw an ad on Craigslist for an upholstery apprentice in a town just outside of Austin. I got the job because I could do a little bit of sewing. Um, and then I just kept taking classes and picking up gigs and learning from makers here in Austin. That is incredible. I love that story. Upholsterer, where, how did, I'm on this career, let's, this test here. <laughs> I know. Like, how do you, how would they select that? I'm so very curious at what their criteria was, you know, for, okay, the student clearly needs to be an upholsterer. I have no idea. You know, <laughs> um, I've been tempted to call my high school and be like, remember way back when, do you remember what this test is called? Um, but I haven't, I haven't. <laughs> oh, that's awesome though. That And that is cool, I guess. Um, also, it, that's kind of a, a different, again, different direction that most, you know, women non-binary makers come into craft uh normally we're it's kind of not a career not a job or a trade like suited for us you know at a at a younger age so that's kind of cool actually that you got that on your test <laughs> i like that yeah you know it took over 10 years to explore it but it was it ended up being helpful and i love it now so cool and upholstery itself is is such a fascinating craft and, and really an art um you know and to to think about the different types of fabrics and things what would you say has probably been your most interesting upholstery project to date i'm thinking of two one was um several years ago uh my dad and i built a bed frame and I had some leftover lumber. And so I got a chair that needed some TLC off of Craigslist, I think it was. And it had some water damage on the legs. And so I replaced the legs with that matching lumber. And then I decided that I was gonna try using a velvet fabric for the first time. I had no idea how slippery it was going to be. And so I had to learn how to, how to sew the velvet fabric. And so that was a learning moment. But more recently, I built myself a sofa. And so that was my first project from truly beginning to end. So 
I, uh, I took a class at the local community college on, um, well, I took several woodworking classes there, a textiles class, and then also that class on how to use the, um, the, the app called SketchUp. And so I, I took that class so that I could build the sofa and not just do it willy-nilly and hope it works out. But uh, that was about a six-month six project that I just did on the weekends. And uh, that was the biggest upholstery project. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was, it was frustrating at times, but uh, you know, now it's worth it. So did you use velvet again on this project or did you use a different type of fabric? No, I'm, I'm gonna avoid velvet um, <laughs> as much as I can. But no, I just used some, um, like a cotton blend fabric. Very nice, very nice. Well, congratulations. That's, that's a huge moment, honestly, you know? It was, yeah. And I'm, in the past couple of years, I've had these moments where I, I impress myself with what I've done. I'm like, oh, I kind of know what I'm, that looks like a professional job. <laughs> that's great. Did I do that? <laughs> right. Kind of looking around like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and that's you know that's a, a large piece. There's a lot of skill, I'm sure, that goes into that. Many different techniques. Um, wow, what a challenge! And I love that. And that to me, that says a lot about you know who you are as a maker, and you know, kind of a, a lot about your foundation, and, and maybe a little bit about where you'd like to go. You know, with your upholstery experience and now woodworking. Um, what are you working on at the moment and where do you think that's gonna lead you in the future? Um, currently, I'm not working on anything. Um, I just finished a project with my, with my dad again. He's been very helpful. He's, he lives in Tennessee, but he's come down to Austin quite a bit. And so we made these floating shelves, which sounds, not pretty simple, but you know, things typically don't end up being that simple. Um, but we spent quite a bit of time doing that. We cut into the sheetrock to install hardware and I tried many different stains to find the exact right finish. And um, so that was a bit of a, a long project. And then I've been, I've been traveling and working. So I'm taking a pause, but I want to build a sideboard uh, for my dining room. So I've been looking for you know, just the right one online. So maybe I could save myself some, some time, maybe some money, um, but I can't find the right one. And so I'm gonna have to do it myself. There you go. <laughs> and you can, if you, uh, if you can build a, a sofa, I think a sideboard is definitely within your, your wheelhouse. And again, another like super exciting and ambitious project to, to work on. Yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll take a while. You know, I, I can do the, the wood parts. It's the hardware that is the hardest part for me right now. Absolutely. I was having this conversation um, earlier about, you know, like uh, a student was, you know, trying build casework and getting doors to fit and things like that. It's, it's so yeah. finicky and, and hardware you think, oh, I'll just 
slapping on there. No, it, it's never that simple. You're absolutely right. Anytime you think a project is going to be simple, then it's, yeah, you just jinxed yourself. <laughs> right. And then with the sideboard and cabinet doors, you know, the gaps will be uneven if you don't get the hardware perfect or get the right kind of hardware that you can adjust. So yeah, after you work so about. hard, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, those those little details ma really really matter. So and um, I, again, like this, there's just so many complexities to the you know the little piece and little adjustments and things like that it can take a lot of time. Take a mm -hmm. lot of time. Um, but you're right. That's what takes a piece. You know, that's what really finishes it. And you can sit back and look at it as like a job well done. You know, everything is is where it needs to be. And Again, you know, with your background in upholstery, I'd imagine you have a pretty good attention to detail, so. Yeah, that's a must. I, so my dad was down and, and we were working on some just general carpentry around the house. And he had to tell me a few times, listen, we're not building, you know, we're not doing dovetails here. You can relax. We don't have to get within one sixteenth of, you know, these measurements, like just chill out, it'll be fine. Like, okay, you're right, it's okay. Yeah, that's definitely sounds like I'm talking to my husband, like everything he does, he he wants to do the dovetails, he wants to, you know, just because he can, and it's fun, and it's like, you know, we, we really need kitchen countertops, or whatever it is, right. so, yeah. oh, well, awesome, well, um, sounds like you've been in Austin for a number of years, there is a huge, you know, craft makers community down there, um, what has your experience been like in that community? that there are a lot of makers and they all kind of know each other for the most part. And so it really does feel like a community. Um, I've worked with several incredible makers here in Austin. So um, I worked for an upholsterer. Her name is Kim Smith. She has an upholstery shop called Rainwares. You should definitely check her out. She's on Instagram. And then Adrian Romine with Half Halt. Her whole team is incredible, so much fun, very talented. And then Daniel Morrison, um, the founder of Yucca Stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. It's, um, and I know just over the years, there's a lot of fairs that come through there, um, a lot of markets and things like that. So it's also a good place for folks from out of town to really come and and Austin really is a, it's a neat place. Uh, having grown up in Texas, it's, it's totally different from the rest of the state, which is, which is great, but um, it's, it really is a destination. And I love how it's like maintained um, this just level of curiosity in what's going on in the greater world. And the craft community has absolutely uh, benefited from that. So, um, you know, as a, as a minority um, in, in this industry in general, you know, we all kind of face different challenges and different barriers that other folks might not be completely aware of. What are some challenges that you have you have faced, you know, in upholstery craft making, you know, um, as a minority in the field? I've worked with mostly with um, women makers. And so that's been great to have that many options here in Austin, um, you know, they're great, they're great mentors, they're great examples, they've navigated being 
women makers really well. Um, and even with working with, you know, some of the, the guy makers here, they've just been so respectful and encouraging. I just, I think I've had great luck. Um, there have been times where I don't exactly feel like, you know, I'm a hundred percent part of the community or the boys club, but, um, it's never been, it's never been intentional. Um, and I remember one time I was working in this big, like co-op is called uh, splinter group on the, in East Austin. And so there are probably about a dozen makers that just share space and they each rent their own little bay. And so we were sharing a bay with a couple of makers and I mentioned to one of them that I had a jointer and he just couldn't believe that I had a jointer at home. And I was, it just felt good, a little flex. I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, yeah, and I asked, you know, not to get too political with things, but I live in South Carolina very, mm -hmm. you know, very red state, very conservative. Texas is also um, that way. And I see a lot of parallels in Charleston and Austin being, you know, cosmopolitan kind of almost very blue liberal areas compared mm -hmm. to this, to the sea of red they're surrounded by. So um, I, I love to hear that that's your experience because other women in Austin have had the same experience too. Um, Amanda Russell, who's an apprentice at, with Philip Morley and teaches at the Austin School of Fine Furniture. Mm -hmm. She is just an A plus human. And, um, and it makes me happy to hear, you know, I, I hope that we'll get to a point where people will say, well, I've been lucky, you know, to not have experienced so much. I would love for that to become the norm. Um, and I, I've had a very similar experience myself here in Charleston. It probably helps that my husband you know, is there to help guide me through probably not a whole lot of comments were thrown my way that maybe other people had to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, but that is really encouraging. And I'm glad to hear that the community has been so inclusive in Austin and, and that it's continuing to thrive. Um, yeah. And I love, Philip, I love Philip Morley. Um, I took my level three woodworking class at Austin Community College was with him. Oh, and so awesome. when I took that first woodworking class, level one, the instructor told us about Philip and I was like, I'm going to take his class. And so I, um, I drove probably 45 minutes each way to a different campus so that I could attend his class. And it was great at the end of the semester. So I was working full time and then I drove, you know, pretty far to get to his class at night. I was exhausted every day, but, um, but man, I tried. I wanted to get as much as I could out of that class. And so at the end of the semester, I hadn't finished our final project. And uh, I was so tired. I was like, you know, this was a great class, but I'm, I gotta go home and go to sleep. And he just looked at me and said, you make me doubt my abilities as a teacher. <laughs> I had lollygagged like everyone else had finished and we giggled about it it was in good fun it was fine but it did light a fire under me to to focus and try my hardest and so that's been it's been a good lesson <laughs> he's definitely the type to say that too but yeah I mean it's that honesty and that that truthfulness and very genuine um 
type of personality. I think that he really draws people people in with that. And I know he's not the only teacher that has probably felt that way. And you are not the only student, of course, that's ever not finished a project. You know, I think that's a a big like dilemma between a lot of students and their in their teachers, especially when you get towards the end of the year. It's, you've had this enthusiasm and you've been you know busting it for so long, and you're like, I'm almost there, and you're like. I, I just need a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I think also though that um, it's important for teachers and even for students not to focus on, oh, I didn't finish that one project and that intensive that time and get really hung up on that. It really is to me at least about the long game, about what you take with you and what you build after Mm -hmm. that. So, um, and maybe it's just someone that, you know, perpetually doesn't finish her own projects, you know, endorsing <laughs> that, but, um, but yeah, but no, Philip, Philip is awesome. And I'm glad you got to have that experience with him. And, and also, you know, sounds like you've taken um, a couple of different classes at a, a couple of different places. Do you mm-hmm. have any advice for someone that is thinking of making the change in their life or to go in the direction of, I want to start, you know, building a career in craft and making, and where do I, where do I begin with my education on that? Any tips for, for new students? I would say start small. So um, I lived in a studio apartment and I did um, a couple of little, you know, woodworking projects by hand and then did some sewing And then I just looked for classes and I'm lucky that here in Austin, we have a lot. Um, We mentioned Philip and he's um, leading several classes at the Austin School of of Furniture. And, um, you know, there are plenty of classes online um, and network. That's how I've gotten my gigs. That's how I learned a lot of I mean, a lot of the ins and outs of the, of the industry of, you know, what's the best finish, what's a good brand of hand planes um, and that kind of thing. You know, it's, I grew up in a small rural town in Tennessee and I just wasn't exposed to much. I probably could have tried harder and like found some different things, but I also just didn't know what I liked and what I didn't like. And so moving here, there's just a lot more opportunity and um, things to to explore. So um, yeah, start online and then maybe go from there. I think that's great advice. And I love hearing that about your background because I'm from a small rural South Carolina, you know, town um, and even lived in several small towns in Texas. So very much know that and, um, I remember growing up, you know, wanting to create, wanting to make, you know, wanting to just be creative. And it was hard because I remember feeling that confusion, especially when I was going to college. And it's like, what, what do I like? I don't even know, you know, I don't even know what's out there. So I, I agree. I think it's great advice to, to start small, but to start exposing yourself to things. And what a time to be alive. We say that all the time on Twitter, right? That's like kind of a, a trope on there, but truly um, for artists and makers, uh, before it used to be, you had to you had to move to the big city, you had to move to New York, you had to move to, to one of those, those areas to even have a career and uh, how technology and um, the internet has opened up 
possibilities, you know, not just for learning, but for really truly having a career in, in, in networking and building. I'm going to second your advice on taking the classes. Um, not it, They're worth every penny. Um, that's another conversation that I've had this week with someone else is, well, you know, that's a lot of money for this amount of time, but you can't put a price on that experience, on the knowledge. And then you're right, the, the networking, getting to know your instructors and your, your fellow classmates. And um, that's how a lot of folks, you know, we do try to look out for each other. And if there's a job or something that comes through that I can't do, I want to pass that on to someone who can, you know, and um, we spend very solitary, <laughs> very solitary lives, you know, a lot of time alone being woodworkers and makers. And so I think it's really important to do things like that, either classes or join a guild or, you know, something to get yourself out there. And then of course, social media, things like that have, have opened up a world of possibilities. So yes, that's some, that's some great advice. Yeah. And you know, there are plenty of week long classes that are so full of tips and tricks and knowledge. And when you spend a week with people all day long, I mean that you're inherently going to network. So, you know, you can fly to you know, a big city or wherever there's a class, not necessarily in a big city. I took an amazing class in, in Waco, um, but awesome. you know, spend a week there, see a new place, learn some things and networking. So I worked at Half Holt um, at the end of, at the end of 2020. Um, and then she only needed me for a few months while one of her employees was taking a training. And so um, that ended and I ended up getting laid off in March, 2021. And Adrian from Half Halt had recommended me to Daniel with Yucca Stuff. And so I didn't even have a full day off between my office job and then working for him. And it was, such incredible timing and it was it was just great to not have that downtime thinking oh man i've been laid off what am i going to do so i got to just you know use my use my hands and my body and and make things which was therapeutic that's awesome yeah what a way it's like land to land on your feet and just keep going and um also a great moment of expansion, you know, you're talking about leaving an office job there. It is very therapeutic, you know, to, to move your body and to make things. I had the same experience leaving an office job and coming back to woodworking and making and, and ended up writing full time. And it was just like, oh, I forgot that I could be this connected to myself. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's truly, it's truly lovely. And then also I tend to snack a lot when I'm sitting at my computer. So it was for the best for me to stop, stop sitting there all day. But, um, but no, it's, 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 a, it's a great way to live. It's um, very fulfilling, not, you know, not just physically, but also mentally. And um, for people that are very, I guess, logic minded, love to build things, that, that sort of thing. Um, it fulfills you in a way that there's not a whole lot of things out there that can. And, you know, especially those of us that like to build or take things apart and see how things work. 
not not all of us can can have a garage and, and tinker on old, old cars all day. You know, woodworking is becoming a much more accessible, you know, trade and form of craft um, for for everyone. I love seeing um, what people are doing at makerspaces across the world. Uh, yeah, across the world, actually. I've talked with folks in Mexico and and over in the Netherlands that have makerspaces. So it really is this kind of global movement and hopefully we're all moving here as a collective, you know, we're starting to realize, hey, we can do a lot more when we work together and and there is enough room for everyone. So um, I love hearing yeah. that. Are you still, now, are you still working with Yucca stuff or are you on, on your own? No, I um, have another full-time office gig. Um, and so when I was working with Daniel at Yucca stuff, I, I got really into it. I was so excited. And I applied to the nine month furniture making program at, um, oh, what's it called? The, the place in Rockford, Maine. Uh, Center for Furniture Craftsmanship. Yes. So I happened to be accepted into that, which surprised me. And I was ready. I was ready to go to Maine. I bought a parka. I was <laughs> on my way out. And I ended up getting this job that I had been wanting for years. Well, I can always go back and do this program. One day I might even have the money for it. And so I decided to, to, to keep this job um, and just make things for my house and make things for fun. I do want to, I do want to do it more, but right now I like doing it for fun and not making it work. And so I'm, I'm enjoying that part of it. I wanted to mention something you asked about people getting into trades. When I applied to that nine month program, I also got a scholarship from the Micro Works Foundation. And so they give scholarships to learn all sorts of trades. And I highly recommend checking it out and applying if you want some sort of funding to attend whatever training um so that's great and they gave me quite a bit of money so I ended up not accepting it but because uh, I didn't go to the program but I highly recommend checking it out wow what a hard decision Woo. <laughs> it was really hard because not only did I you know not not get to go on this adventure that I was ready for um I was dreading the winter but other than that I was excited and then I also gave up quite a bit of money and scholarships. Um, it was hard. It was a hard decision. But again, I can do it later. It's okay. Absolutely. And you bring up a great point. I've been there myself um, after spending a lot of time having to make for a living, you know, having it be, I've, I've got to have stuff for this show. I've got to have, this is how I pay my bills. Um, it is nice now, you know, to be mostly writing, interviewing, doing that sort of thing. And to be able, when I'm in the shop, I'm making things that I really want to make. Mm -hmm. It's not, is this going to sell is, you know, um, and even commissions and stuff like that. Sometimes it can feel very, um, you know, it's, you're going to, you know, forming somebody else's ideas, basically their preferences and to be able to just make whatever you feel like making, um, I call it making bad art for me because there's a lot of stuff I'm like, whoo, I'm, I'm glad I'm not trying to sell this. <laughs> this is, <laughs> what is this? <Yeah>. But 
Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was excited about that nine month program because I kept thinking, I'm going to be a real furniture maker. This is going to take, you know, it's going to make me official. Um, and then since I've made that sofa, I made those, um, you know, worked with my dad on those floating shelves and a couple of other little projects. And I thought, well, actually, I'm already a real furniture maker. <laughs> this just might, you know, help me level up a little bit or quite a bit. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's people that go to classes and intensives and will not make a sofa. So, hey, to each their own, you know, point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the school of life, the school of mm -hmm. life. <laughs> yeah. And, and woodworking, well, a lot of trades and, and creative outlets do teach a lot of life lessons, you know, um, I've tried to learn patience from woodworking, you know, persistence. When I started, I would just jump in and not really do much planning and just hoping that it all worked out. Rarely did. So I've, I've learned to enjoy that planning stage. It is fun to brainstorm and think about different ways to do things. And, um, but I, man, I hated that at first. I hated it. Um, I like to move fast, get it done, appreciate the end result. But I have learned a lot of, um, yeah, just life lessons and, uh, and focus, resilience, um, and accept that I might make really expensive mistakes. And it just is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And I just, just, you bring up such a great point of, you know, the cr creative process itself. I ran into the same thing. I want to be, I want to get it done. I want to see it mm -hmm. so I can go on to the next thing. And it is just not that way with, yeah. with woodworking. And I still, you know, try to fight and resist it, but even just in the creative process in general, I have recently discovered, you know, how, how valuable taking that time way is again, to just make what you want to make or, or sketch or plan the, the planning part that you cannot that that's definitely I think a hard thing for a lot of artisans in general especially people that are trying to make a living off of this as a small business owner completely underestimate how much planning and how important planning is um and even just building a piece of furniture you need to know all you got to know know the steps right and planning is very important for um, giving people quotes for how much a project will cost. That is something that I'm terrible at. And I've heard that a lot of beginners are pretty bad at that, estimating how much something will cost, even if you don't make a mistake. Um, so it's important to figure out every inch of foam you're going to need for a chair, um, what the current price of the lumber is, how much your finish is going to cost because they're expensive. So I've definitely lost some money on some projects. <laughs> I think we all have, and you're right. They're, they're expensive. I feel like there's no mistake that is less than like a hundred bucks and won't take like two days off of your schedule. <laughs> you know, like it's always something like that. Um, but there's also where there's a lot of learning and, you know, like, the lessons that you talk about, you know, not only are you learning, well, I'm not going to do this in my process next time, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of learn a little bit about yourself. I mean, I remember how impatient I was 
when we got started or I got started, you know, you spend all this time. I remember it was a cutting board and you get the whole thing done and I'm like putting the finish on it. And it just like a piece, not the joint, but just a piece of wood snapped. Like it was just the piece. It was going to, that was what's going to happen. There's nothing. It was unavoidable. And I just was so angry, you know, so mm. angry. And that was the time, the time I really had to like first process through that and have that same that same lesson of like, you know, not everything's going to go the way you want it to. You can be right there at the finish line and trip and fall on your face. And, you know, like, um, and sometimes you just have to accept it. And woodworking teaches you um, for as much control as you try to have over this, this element over wood or, you know, um, you still very much have to work with it you know it's if anything it's running the show you're just kind of working with it so it's it's a very humbling material to work with very yeah um you know in a a poultry because fabric you can hide holes a little bit better interesting (laughs) with you know an extra hole in a wooden piece of furniture it's it's a little harder to hide so upholstery is a little more forgiving, but woodworking, you really got to be diligent about what you're doing. <laughs> I've heard a good quote um, that, you know, you can like determine like the skill of a woodworker, not so much like on what they build, but like how they fix their mistakes. And it's so true. It's, it's so, so true. true. Yeah. There's been many pieces where it's, you're like, uh, I'm like, oh, this is great. I love this little aspect. And they're like, oh, well, actually that split or I had to do this or you know and it's like you know Bob Ross happy little accidents but in the moment you're like ah so um so yeah it's important to embrace those moments because sometimes they end up really bringing out the character of the piece and and sometimes they just end up on the scrap pile (laughs) right some some firewood oh goodness well now that you spent some time um, in multiple industries of, of craft, multiple areas, what are some things that you would like to see change moving forward for women, non-binary makers, minorities in the craft industry? Where, what are some things you think the community would really benefit from as far as inclusion? Well, you know, I was thinking just trade schools, just having access to training. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Austin Community Colleges or College has some great classes um, they're fairly affordable. And I think in other parts of the world, it's just easier to get training for different, for different trades. And I think just that alone would make a really big difference. Absolutely. Increasing access. And it's, it's so wonderful to see, um, initiatives like, you know, Aspen Goal and and the Chairmaker's Toolbox and scholarships and things like Mm -hmm. that, really removing, some of these barriers you mentioned earlier, you know, scholarships. Um, it, it's great that we're having more of them, but there's only there's only so many. And um, I am always focused in thinking on ways that we can keep bringing people in that don't have, you know, twenty thousand dollars to to go and and take a year off work and and all of those. It's a very specific type of you know person that is able to do that and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely something that I, I would like to see changed. And then of course, living in the rural South and seeing the arts slowly disappear, you know, I always, or not slowly, very quickly here. Um, I think a lot of Jasper Johns, he grew up across the lake from me and, you know, he had this, you know, prolific career and, 
um, just this really abstract way of thinking, totally different than what I would imagine anything coming out of Sumter, South Carolina. And um, it just is a good reminder, again, of our conversation earlier that like, no matter where you're at, you can create, you know, um, there are ways to, to dig in and explore these things. And there are people out there wanting to share the information and connect with you. That's the other wonderful thing about, especially the woodworking community is the enthusiasm of the instructors and the, the people that are leading and teaching, you know, they, they get you excited. You get excited yeah. because they're excited. And that's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, it is. And I follow a lot of makers on, on Instagram and a lot of them are in rural areas. So you can't find them. And also at work, uh, a few years ago, we had a, an employee group of, of woodworkers. And so we got together once a month and just chatted about our shops and what projects. That's awesome. Work. Yeah. So you know, you can connect with your coworkers too. Absolutely. I'm, ho I'm hoping that, you know, especially over the last decade with this huge resurgence of focus on making, um, really expanding beyond the studio furniture uh, realm of things, you know, uh, woodworking is, can be fine art, it can be contemporary craft, it can also be DIY, um, mm -hmm. smaller objects, you know, more of the, the maker's um, focused approach to things. And um, yeah, it's, again, it's an exciting, exciting time. And um, I'm really glad that, that you're a part of it. And thank you so much for spending this time speaking with me. Um, before we go, what's, what's next for you? You know, you, you say you've got an office job. Um, are you just enjoying the space right now? Or do you have any creative plans? Currently, my creative plans are to just furnish my house. Um, you know, maybe screen in my porch, little DIY project here and there. I don't have grand plans for um, for jumping into furniture making full time. I want to do it eventually. Um, I I do have an LLC technically. I got really excited a couple of years ago and then just haven't done anything with it. Hey, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> technically I've got it. Um, and I, I have an Instagram page or account. It's lady garage 512. It's a little sparse right now again, cause I'm doing it part-time, but it's got a few of my projects on there. And so hopefully there will be more and more to show. Wonderful. Awesome. And thanks for showing, you know, telling us where we can find more of you and, and follow your journey. And um, thank you again for sitting down and, and sharing with me. And I'm, I just want to say, I'm really glad that you reached out and wanted to share because a lot of makers in different various, you know, points of their journey, they might feel like, oh, I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to share. I'm not making right now, but it's so important to share perspectives like yours because life goes up and down, you know, it's, I compare it to a wave and there are some moments where the healthiest, best thing is to, to step out or to take mm -hmm. a step back or change your perspective, but it doesn't make you any less of a member of this community. It doesn't make your perspective any less important. And I think it's really important for other people to hear, you know, Hey, it's okay to take a pause in my creative career. It's okay to take a pause in my learning process. Like it doesn't make me any less of a maker. Um, and yeah, classes will be there. <laughs> True. 
<laughs> yeah, very true. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Um, so hope we, hope we stay connected. That would be wonderful. Thanks so much, Chelsea. Thanks. Have a good one. That's it. Thank you so much for tuning into our interview with Chelsea Cates. I will include links on where to follow her in the show notes for today's episode. If you don't know where to find the show notes, check out the podcast app you're listening on. In the podcast description, there should be links there, or you can find it in the description box down below on YouTube, or you can head to freemanfurnishings.com slash podcast and find this week's episode and past episodes and links there too. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Crafting a Revolution and yours truly at Women of Woodworking. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe and follow. Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. We sincerely appreciate the support. Thank you again for tuning in. Let's go craft a revolution. Solution for the toxic masculinities. Pollution is the constant evolution of a.